The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com So today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. Our theme today is hope. So we light the first candle. The first candle normally represents hope. The hope that we find, the hope that we have during the season of Advent. Humans seek after hope like moths seek after light. It's intrinsic to who we are. Neuroscientist Tali Sharat argues hope is so essential to survival that it is hardwired into our brains arguing it can be the difference between living a healthier life versus one trapped by despair. Studies show how hopeful college kids get higher GPAs and are more likely to graduate. Hopeful athletes perform better on the field, cope better with injuries, and have greater mental adjustments when situations change. In one study of the elderly, those who said they felt hopeless were more than twice as likely to die during the study follow-up period than those who were more hopeful. It's pretty clear. Hope is powerfully catalytic and why Dr. Shane Lopez, the psychologist who was regarded as the world's leading researcher on hope, claimed that hope isn't just an emotion, it's an essential life tool. Essential. Uh, There was another article that I read, a powerful article. uh, It was titled Dying of Despair. And a psychiatrist observes the startling rise in deaths from suicide and drug overdoses. He points to a number of long-term studies that have analyzed the difference between high-risk patients who survive and those who die by suicide. Here's his conclusion of the research. He says this, over a 10-year span, it turns out that one Uh, that the one factor most strongly predictive of suicide is not how sick the person is, nor how many symptoms he exhibits, nor how much physical pain he is suffering, nor whether he's rich or poor. He says the most dangerous factor is a person's sense of hopelessness. The man without hope is the likeliest candidate for suicide. He said, we cannot live without hope. Hope is important. Hope is a big deal. The Lord knows this. The Lord wants this. And the Lord provided for this. So as we begin our Advent celebration today, we focus in on this important characteristic of life. And what a powerful thing, this thing called hope. Hope, and you know this, hope is light in the darkest of times. Hope is a sweet sound in the noisiest of times. It's a sweet smell in the most repugnant of atmospheres in our lives. It's the caring touch in the arena of terrible abuse. It is what gets us from here to there. It's what gets us to get up when we fall. It is the reason we can rejoice. It's the reason for the season. And yet hopelessness continues to find its way into our culture, into our homes. And man, I cannot believe this, but hopelessness even finds its way into the church. That's the part that's most phenomenal to me. The one place that's supposed to spark hope, 
the one place where we're supposed to find the true meaning of hope, it's void. Many people today are angry. Many people today are hopeless. And a lot of times when you see those individuals that are hopeless, they react. And they react with this thing called anger. So many people today are finding themselves to be in a position of hopelessness and they find that they're reacting and aggressing over some of the most bizarre things. You know, it's like you think about our last three years in our culture. People are angry, right? We see it. People are angry. But then when you find out what they're angry about, you kind of scratch your head like, for real? (laughs) We're angry about this? This happened and we're angry. We're, we're angry over the most bizarre things. It's like we need to get our anger and our aggression out. So we find ways to do it. Find ways to get our anger and our aggression out. And it's just, it seems, it seems to be some, somewhat commonplace, right? It seems commonplace. It's just so natural. It's so much the norm that people react instead of responding to situations that we have in life. You know, it's like, why is it that when there's road rage or not just road rage, but then just traffic in Denver, we're on I-25 in traffic in the morning, driving in the morning, somebody cuts you off. And if they actually were to wave and say, I'm sorry, that would shock us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's how norm, the normal response of aggression. It's like somebody cuts you off or somebody does something and does something mean. And if they don't apologize, you know, they, they give hand gestures or they just are angry. They're banging the steering wheel. They honk their horn in the mean way. Not the, but the, you know, the, the mean way. That's normal. When people don't do that, we're kind of surprised. Oh, that was nice. The aggression, taking our anger out. And it's just, it's, these are symptoms of an individual who's hopeless. Hope, gone, aggression, ang- acting out on all this stuff. I remember they were, um, there was an interview that was done with uh, 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 John MacArthur. And they were asking him about the riots. And you know, several years ago, we had all those riot issues and, and the, the protesting and all of that stuff that was happening. And, and they were asking him, like, you know, what do you think about all of that stuff? And he just said it's simple. He just said, we're angry. We're just, our culture, we're just angry people right now. And everyone is just acting out. They're just lashing out at all of this stuff. But then you ask, got to ask yourself, I mean, what is the reason for this? People are, say the meanest things to people they just don't know. I, I, I'm watching uh, two people have a conversation in Costco over a cart. Now, now I get the frustration that it was so busy that there were no carts. But there were no carts here. You could easily walk to the parking lot and find a cart in probably one of those cart areas. But there, there was one cart there and two ladies were arguing over the cart. One threatening to beat the lady to death over this cart. And I'm just like, kind of wondering like, you know, maybe they're sisters? <laughs> you know, but I, did, I didn't get that sense at all. And I'm just like, you would threaten to kill somebody you don't know over a cart. 
And, and, and family, here's just the public service announcement. You, you heard several months ago about the road rage that happened where somebody did give a, a gesture to a woman in the car and the woman drove her off the ramp. So she's, she's riding, there was a gesture. She turned in, drove her off onto the on-ramp. This lady got upset. She got out of the car. The other lady got out of the car, and that lady who got upset over the lady running her off the road ran up to her. The lady took out a gun and shot her in the face. You have no idea. (laughs) Me and Janine will say this all the time. You have no idea who you're messing with out there. (laughs) It's like survival now. You just got to be really, really careful about what's happening. But the, you know, that's what I'm saying. Isn't that the most bizarre thing to, if you really think about the logic of it, you have no idea who this person is and you're threatening their lives over a cart, a cart. Are we really that angry? Are we really that hopeless? See, in our culture today, let me, let me get a little bit philosophical with you. In our culture today, I think we've embraced this new form of existentialism. There, it's not that there is no God, but it's just the acceptance, I think, of people in our culture that God's just not going to do anything. God's just not going to do anything for me. God's not going to help. I've asked God so much, so many times to help. God just doesn't do anything. God doesn't help. God doesn't do this. God doesn't do that. You know, I, I try to do this. He doesn't. I try to, I'm hoping for him to do this. He doesn't. He just doesn't do anything. So I think what happens is, especially people within the church, we've kind of come into this thing where we don't feel like God is going to do anything for us. So it's kind of a life that we're living of nihilism, where now since God's not going to do anything, God's not you know, helping me with this situation, so why would God judge me or why would God do anything to me? So basically, I'm just going to live my life how I want to live and do what it is that I want to do. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of seems like that's where our culture, especially in the church, is kind of going, where people in the church just kind of do what they want to do. You know, and it, just, and it, and it has been going like this for a while. You know, I, I could say it to the individual, well, you know, the Bible says this, 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 and this, and, you know, probably shouldn't do that because God makes it pretty clear. And they're like, yeah, pastor, I appreciate your kindness and I appreciate you caring about me, but I really don't care what you say or what the Bible has to say. This is how I'm going to live my life. But the thing that's funny about that is I always wonder, like, what what are we thinking about repercussions? <laughs> do we not feel like we're going to be judged for the things that we do? That there's no judgment? That's kind of the idea of nihilism, existentialism. No consequences, nothing. Nothing's going to happen. So I may as well do and live my life the way I want to live. And hey, you know what? I appreciate the Ten Commandments, but if I agree with them, I'll follow. So I'll follow the ones that I agree with, but I won't follow the ones that I don't agree with. And there's people that actually do that. (laughs) Pick and choose which laws of God that they're going to follow. So it's kind of this. But the thing is, is this is where it gets, this is where it starts to really get real. I'm going to do what's best for me. I'm going to do what's best for me and mine, especially when it comes to the church. I'm going to do what's best for me and mine. But here's the thing, 
the reason why I'm frustrated is not because I have life. Here's, here, this is what blows me away. It's not because I have life. We are not thankful for life. We get life. Life is there. The thing that we're pushing against is lifestyle. That's where the, the struggle is. I know this just sounds so elementary and this just sounds so bizarre. Shane, how do you figure that people care more about lifestyle than they do their own life? It's called suicide. People would rather not live if they can't get the lifestyle they want. If you can't get the lifestyle you want, if you can't have the things in life that you want, if you can't be who it is that you want, if you can't be with the people that you want, you can't have the stuff in life that you want, it's just better to end your life then. We would end our very lives over lifestyle stuff. I'm hoping to get a better life. I'm hoping for life. But lifestyle is what we're thinking. And because in our twisted culture, we think lifestyle is better than life because that's the message that we're getting everywhere. And that's the thing that's funny. The Christmas commercials have started and it's been going for a couple of weeks now, family. You know, when you, you know, watch the Bronco game, some of you guys, you know, are your gluttons for punishment. You want to continue to watch the Broncos play. You know, we, we want to we do all of that stuff. So we have to sit there and we've got to watch those commercials unless you guys got that fancy new uh, the TV app where they, you know, they don't play the commercials. They got those apps now. But instead of playing the commercials, they play like these, these river scenes, though. So you just sit there for five minutes and watch water flow. I, you know, hey, it is what it is, right? But you, you watch these commercials, and it's all about if you can't get certain products in life, if you can't buy the right thing, you can't upgrade to the right thing, if you can't have these things in your life, then life is just not worth living. You know? If you just, it's, it's when you buy product anymore these days, it's not a matter of getting something that's useful. It's like these products are things that uh, apply to your identity. These things that you buy say who you are, you know? So, you know, talking to an individual there is like, well, hey, you know, um, everything that I buy is Apple. Why? Because I'm an Apple kind of guy. Not because Apple, I think, is a better product or any of these kinds of things. You want to talk about the product of these kinds of things. It's just, that's just who I am. You know, I don't want to be known, you know, as, as the, you know, the Samsung guy. I'm the Apple guy. I'm all about Apple. Apple is a, so it's like, but when you watch the commercials, you start to see, huh, well, that's kind of what they're feeding you. Even the kind of bottled water you drink I'm watching this commercial about a certain kind of bottled water that's basically saying, hey, if you look at pictures of the superstars and the celebrities out there, you don't see them carrying Dasani. You don't see them carrying Kirkland. You don't see them carrying those types of things. They carry ours. It's Voss water. Do you see ours? 
You know what I mean? It's just like the identity. So even your identity is shaped by the kind of bottled water you drink. The, the clothes has been at this for years about the kind of clothes you wear. What the clothes you wear, it, it tells you who you are. It gives you your identity. It gives you significance. It gives you that. You know, you, you, why is it that you walk out of the store wearing a suit that you bought from K&G Men's Store? Or you walk out of a, 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 a suit store, you know, from Armani. And I got an Armani suit on automatically. I feel like I'm better than all of you. Why is that? It's a, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're, we're, it's selling lifestyle. And the message is, if you cannot have the life, this kind of life, then life is not worth living. What's the point? And the reason why they can do these kinds of things is because there's no hope. We can't get the life we want, then life is just not worth living. I mean, even, even the way they sell. You know, if I'm on social media a whole lot now, and I get these you know, people trying to sell me stuff. So when there's a, uh, I get a message from a beautiful woman calling me handsome, hey, handsome, I know she's trying to sell me something. <laughs> I know she is. I know she is. She went right for lifestyle. Go right after lifestyle. Make a person feel good about themselves. Make a person feel good. That's one of the things that the best salespeople in the world are the salespeople who can get rid of pain in your life and get you a better lifestyle. They can get you a better lifestyle and they can get you, you know, get pain out of your life. You'll buy whatever product they're selling. Absolutely. Because in our culture today, this is our hope. Sure, Shane, I, and then here's the, the big reason. Sure, Shane, I, re, I rejoice that Jesus came to save us from hell. But Shane, who's going to save me from my bad life right now? Yeah, I got, I got my future taken care of. Jesus is going to save me from hell. Yes, I'm going to have a whole bunch in heaven. But who's going to give me that stuff now? Because I need that stuff in my life right now. I don't need help in the future. I need help right now. My hope is for blessing right now. I know I'll go to heaven someday, but what about my hope for tomorrow? And when I say my hope for tomorrow, I'm talking about my 24-hour tomorrow. So many will resign to, I got no help from God tomorrow, so I guess I got no hope for tomorrow, so all is lost, so the best thing to do for me is, hey, I'm just going to do things on my own. I'm going to do things my way. <laughs> I'm going to do it my way. And you know what? And if God gets upset with me doing it my way, then he should have helped me when I asked him for it in the first place. It's kind of the mentality of our culture today. It's the mentality of many of us in the church today. Well, if you didn't help me, what was I supposed to do? I did the best that I could. I asked you for help, but you didn't come through for me, so I had to do it on my own. And the other problem that we have today is hope is not lost today because the last time I checked, Jesus is still alive. Hope is still there for us today. The hope, though, that Christ brings is not the hope that we're hoping for. 
Oh, that's the trick, isn't it? It's like, yes, Jesus is the guy that brings hope. But I heard about the hope that he brings and uh, I can't drive in it. <laughs> it's, that, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing because in everything, in everything that we, we do, we expect more than we get. We're always expecting that. And even when we get what it is that God, that we've asked God for, we're okay for the next couple weeks. But then we're back on our knees begging and pining and threatening. It's just interesting how, we, how we've come into that entitlement place. We've fallen into entitlement where we feel like we're entitled to a lot of these types of things. You know, um, I was watching a, a quick study that was done, um, an interview that was done with, uh, I think it was about five or six, six ladies and the psychologist, male psychologist was asking them questions. And so they're asking them questions about, you know, do you think that you're special? And the, the girls were like, oh no, which I'm just a normal person. Do you, do you, you know, what do you do, your education level? Just normal average person. So they went and they talked to all six of these ladies and each one of those ladies affirmed the fact that they all thought that they were just regular, normal people and there was nothing special about them. So the psychologist goes to all of them and says, so if I were to actually introduce you to a guy who, you know, made 60000 a year, you know, he had a condo in the city and he drove like a, a Toyota Pri, uh, Prius or, you know, whatever those, he just drove a regular car. W- would you be interested in dating that guy? And all six of the women were like, no, no, I wouldn't do that. No, I wouldn't date a guy like that. Well, well what, what kind of guy would you want us to introduce you to? Oh, he's got to at least make two to 300,000 a year. You know, he's got to have a house in the Highlands or all this stuff, and he's got to drive a nice sports car, and he's got to do all this stuff. And he goes, so what, you, what you're looking for is someone that's out of the ordinary, the, the one that's not normal, right? And he goes, what's funny is none of you think you're special. None of you think that there's anything great about you, but all of you demand special. And they were all like aghast, like, ah. And he goes, it's funny. How come we don't think we're special people, but yet we demand special things? Interesting, yeah? So we're going through this stuff and I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about it. Is that it's not just this. It's just with everything. It's just even when it comes to life. Nothing that we do, nothing that we work for. We don't put ourselves in a position where we made ourselves special, but yet we expect, we expect it. And we expect it from God because we know God is the one who can give us something that's special. Right? He can do it. He just doesn't do it. So when God gives us the 50000 a year, we're not okay with that. We want the 300000 a year. See, that's, that's the, 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 the thing that's happening but what is, what is it? Why is it then that we can't rest in it? Why is it that we can't be okay with it? Why can't we be happy with this? Because this family, it's how the world's going to get us. <laughs> this is how the world gets us. 
This is how the world is going to get us to spend money that we don't have for things that we don't need. Promise to give you a hope for a future that you want. Going to tell you that it's okay to do it this way. Going to tell you to follow them. Going to tell you that Jesus is not the only way. They're going to tell you that the Bible is not needed. The Bible has errors. The Bible was written by men. There are other books that give better answers. It's it's the same God we worship. We worship the same God, but you don't have to go through all of that stuff. You don't have to follow what the Bible has to say. We worship the same God. You can have a better life. You can have your best life now. You can have your cake and eat it too. You can inherit the world. You can gain the whole world. It's what the world is telling us. That's what a lot of the churches are telling us today. And family, let me tell you what Jesus had to say about that. Jesus says, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give, give you grace and peace. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you. Now that you belong to Christ Jesus through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as, eager, as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is faithful to do what he says and he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you continue to help it to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we'll look at today is the hope that we find in Christ and his faithfulness to his promise. The second thing we're going to look at today is the words and works of Christ continue to give us hope and hope for future glory with Christ. So our thesis statement is this, and again, my thesis statement is always me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose hope with all the hopelessness in the world, it is the truth of the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to rejoice in Christ, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So point number one, hope in Christ. God is faithful. The reason why, so here's the big thing. This summarizes this whole thing. The reason why we can have hope in Christ today, the reason why we can, is the first three Greek words you see right here in this passage. Pistas hasteas. God is faithful. The reason why, and that's all you say, when you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling like things just aren't working and I'm feeling pretty hopeless today. All we need to know is remember those first three Greek words. You don't have to know them in Greek. You can learn them and know them in English. <laughs> it is, God is faithful. Feeling hopeless today? God is faithful. But I love the way that the New Living Translation, uh, second edition, illuminates this. Because the idea of God is faithful, see, I think we can do that, right? We can do that. We can go, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel bad, I feel hopeless, but God is faithful. You ever do that sometimes? Like I, I used to do it when I was in Bible college. Um, and, and this is not a knock on, on Twyla Paris' song, but you guys remember back in the 80s and 90s, Twyla Paris had this song that went, God is in 
control. We believe that his children will not. God is in control. And how many of you guys actually would do that? Like, you, you would have problems. I remember I would have a hard time in life, and I'd just be walking around in King Supers. God is in control. God is in control. And start singing the song, God is in control. And just singing all the stuff. Singing the song, God is in control. And it's almost like you're just trying to convince yourself that God is in control. But it was, it's being used as kind of this generality, right? God is in control. God is in control. I feel like it can be like that with this sometimes, right? Where we're like, okay, I'm feeling hopeless, but God is faithful, right? We say that it's hopeless, but God is faithful. God is faithful. But a lot of times when we say stuff like that, we use it in a general sense. It's not specific enough so it doesn't help us get over that bump, the bump in the road. Let me tell you what I'm saying here. The point of this is, is that this is a little bit more descriptive than him saying, you know, we can have hope today because God is faithful. Generally saying God is faithful. No, the idea of it In the context of this, when you put this together, we understand this. It's not just general faithfulness. It's saying God is faithful to do exactly what he said he's going to do. Man, that's so much more helpful, isn't it? It's not just, oh, God is faithful. It's like the Jedi mind trick, right? God is faithful. It's saying God is faithful. I can have hope today because God is faithful to do everything that he said he was going to do. To do everything he said he was going to do. Meaning that my God fulfills his promises. Uh, uh, New Testament scholar writes this. The Old Testament and early Judaism stressed unequivocally the trustworthiness and reliability of God. God can be trusted to come good on all his promises and deliver on all his undertakings, meaning he will do what he says if he says it. If God says it, he's going to do it. And he's going to deliver on it. Do you know how we know he's going to deliver on it? Because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. He is able to do it. And I think today in our culture, we struggle with this stuff when it comes to promises. Two things, two main areas we struggle with in our culture when it comes to promises. Number one, are you going to fulfill the promise? Are you actually even going to do what you said that you promised? And here's the other big one today. People do what they promise, but they do a really bad job. (laughs) Right? And, and so I don't know about you guys, but for me, where this is really difficult and really hard, I just, you know, and God forgive me, forgive me for this, if this, if this is coming across as, as, as crash or crass or disrespectful in any way, but man, I can't stand insurance companies. Here's, let, me t- <laughs> let me tell you what I'm saying here, okay? I, hey, you know what? If, if you work for an insurance company, this does not mean you. I'm just saying that just because. It doesn't mean you. You're, so you're off the hook. But man, I, I don't know if you guys did, but this one time we bought this, we bought this car. Uh, we, it was a tour van for, for the band. And we bought the extended warranty. 
You guys ever buy extended warranties before? It's like it carries the warranty from, you know, 50,000 to 100,000, right? So I had this whole warranty, bumper to bumper, right? They say stuff like that, bumper to bumper. You get this warranty, we cover everything, bumper to bumper. Anything goes wrong with that car, you bring it back and we'll, you know, we'll fix it for you. We'll get it taken care of for you. (laughs) And just like, okay, so here's the promise. The promise is, I give you money, you fix car when broken. (laughs) Pretty simple, right? So we do this, I promise to give you money. And man, you make sure, (laughs) you make sure I'm giving you money. I give you money, you promise to do this. So we had this one and it, it was a conversion tour van and the man, a lot of stuff in that van was breaking. It was breaking, it was breaking. And we took it to the, the place that we got it fixed because there's only certain places you can take to get the car fixed. You go to take it to the place. Anyway, we got to this place where we had a, a TV. So it was one of those vans that had the TV in them, you know? But that TV constantly broke. And it was always internal things where they had to replace the TV. So they give us a brand new TV almost once a month. Finally, I could hear the guy on the phone And he walks out on the phone and he's talking to the insurance company and the insurance company is telling him, no, we're not going to give him another TV. And he goes, yes, but his warranty covers all the way till 100,000 miles. And he goes, well, but we're not going to do it. And he's just like, well, why are you guys not going to do it? He goes, because we don't want to do it anymore. I could hear him on the phone. He goes, but my customer doesn't want to pay the insurance anymore either. They didn't want to pay for it. Why didn't he want to do it? And so he was trying to get the sales guy. He put him on speaker because he wanted me to hear this. He was trying to get this, the, the guy, the fix-it guy, to come up with all kinds of excuses so that they didn't have to pay to get another TV. But this is how it is, right? This is how it goes. A lot of times we do things and people just don't fulfill their promise. They just don't want to do what it is that they they say they do. So we struggle with that. And then we also struggle with the guys that are like, okay, fine. We'll give you the TV, but give them one of those used ones in the back. You know, and then we're looking at the TV going, hey, didn't uh, Fresh Prince from Bel Air, wasn't that done in color? Why is this black and white? This ain't the Andy Griffin show. You know, they just, they, they lower the standards. You know, they do stuff. So it's just like, you know, you're, you're buying product and that you're finding out that the product actually isn't good product. And the, the thing is, is, hey, I delivered on my promise. Yeah, kinda. Yeah, yeah you kinda did. You, you know, I mean, I, I bought the, this Twinkie, but I didn't know that Hostess was having such a hard time that you guys didn't put no cream in it. Is this how it is now? And if you do, you open up the Twinkie these days, you don't get that, you know, that circle of, of, of cream anymore. It's like they took a butter knife and just spread a little bit of cream on it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You pay five bucks for a bag of potato chips. Sure, they delivered, they gave you a bag of potato chips, but when you open up, you realize that 75% of it was air. 
I didn't know air. It's like with that joke, right? I thought air was free until I bought a bag of potato chips. So that's what we struggle with in our culture today. Not only are we just wrestling with people who will not keep their promises, we're also wrestling with the fact that when they do keep their promise, they don't deliver on what they promise, and it's not very good. Sure, they technically delivered, but it was just a really bad job. The point is, family, is that is not our God. God is not this way. God is not, he doesn't take his cues from the, from the culture. Number one, if God says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He showed us that throughout all of scripture. And not only is he going to do it, but man, he's going to do a good job. He is going to do a good job when he does it. And this is illustrated wonderfully in the scriptures. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Deuteronomy 7, 9. Understand therefore that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. Psalm chapter 145, 13. Psalm 145, 13. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The context seems similar to the haftarah. The benediction with refers to God is not just faithful, but the faithful God who speaks and acts. That is something that we have got to make sure that we understand in our culture today. Our God is not a God who's just there. Our God is not the, the time watchers. You know, like the time watchers that you see in the comic books. He's not just standing there observing saying, oh, I'm just an observer. I'm just here to observe, see what mankind does. He's not just an observer. Our God speaks and he acts. God is there. He's with us. He makes us promises and he will keep them and he will do a good job when he does it. That's all we see in the Old Testament. That's all we see in Scripture. He does what he says he's going to do and when he does it, man, he does a good job of it. He does a really good job. The point is, the reason why we can't have hope today is um, we can have hope tomorrow, but the reason why we don't is because we don't believe. And why this holiday season is a reminder of the hope that we have in Christ. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful and not just general, but God is faithful to do what he said that he was going to do. And God is faithful and he is able to do a really good job when he does it. Yeah. We got tons of promises. You guys want to hear some? He promises to hear us. Psalm chapter 10, verse 17, Psalm 10, 17. Lord, you know the hopes of the helpless. Surely you will hear their cries and comfort them. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. And we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us, when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. You have not because you ask not. But if you ask, you ask with wrong motives. And you only want the things that will give you pleasure. 
He promises to be compassionate. Psalm chapter 116, verses 5 to 6. Psalm 165, 5 to 6. How kind the Lord is. How good He is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death, and He saved me. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Did you know that God promises to comfort us? Yeah, John 14, 16, John 14, 16. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Do you know that God promises to, be, to bring goodness in our lives? We want goodness in our lives? Here's goodness. Yet, uh, Psalm chapter 27, verse 13, Psalm 27, 13. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Psalm 86, verse 5. Oh Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who asked for your help. Did you know that God promises to guide us? In Psalm, Psalm chapter 32, verse 8, Psalm 32, 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best, best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Man, do we need peace in our lives? God promises to bring peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. Philippians 4, 7. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can ever understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Psalm 4, 8. In peace, I will lie down to sleep. For you alone, O Lord, will keep me safe. We need God to provide Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, Philippians 4, 19, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. We need protection. God is our refuge. Psalm 9, verse 9. The Lord is our shelter for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27. The eternal God is your refuge and his everlasting arms are under you. He drives out the enemy before you. Before you, he cries out, destroy them. God promises to be our shield in Psalm 84, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who, up, who walk uprightly. God promises to sustain us. So if God promises to sustain us, it means he will sustain us. And he's going to do a really good job when he does it. I cried out, I'm slipping. Psalm 94, 18. I cried out, I'm slipping. But your unfailing love, O Lord, supported me. I love this one in Jeremiah 17, verse 7 to 8. Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that he sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And God promises that he will always be with us. 
Come close to God. God, uh, James 4, 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's the issue. We don't feel like we are close to God because our loyalty is divided between God and the world. Because of sin, we have an undivided, or we have a divided heart. That's why we pray to the Lord that we want an undivided heart. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. You know, this, that, that scripture in Hebrews is huge. For me, it's huge. Um, or not, not the, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. See, this is the thing about Christianity that I think that we've all got to make sure that we get and get this set in our mind. What you have right now, just think of where you are. Let's just say your life just, your life, life just went to a stop. What you have right now. Do you know that you have all that you need to be super happy and joyous with the Lord? That's it. We got what we need. If this is where we need to be, God has made sure that we need to be here. And we have what we need. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. And why? Why is God saying to be satisfied with what you have? Be satisfied with what you got. Because he says, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Yes, Shane, you got regular cowhide cowboy boots. Be satisfied with what you got. I know you want the alligator shoes. Be satisfied with what you got because I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. It's okay to be where you are. You know, I remember uh, one guy was telling me back, uh, back in the day, he was like, you know, Shane, if I don't drive a nice car, no, no girl is going to like me. If I don't have a nice car and if I don't make a lot of money, no girl is going to want me. And I'm just like, no, you're, you're fine. <laughs> You got a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you drive a Honda. Yeah. It still works. Still good. Yeah. Be satisfied with what you got. And what was amazing was, is that I said, I promise you, I know because it's, it's the girls that you're talking to right now, but God is going to bring a woman in your life who's going to be completely fine with the fact that you have a job. That's good. And that you have a Honda, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay with that. But here's the thing I told him. But this, the special thing about this girl, though, is that she doesn't care about the money. She doesn't care about the car. What she cares about is what's in your heart. This is what I, when I say to, to guys all the time, 
It's like, you really want a godly woman, right? Oh, yes, yes, I want a godly woman. I want to marry a godly woman. Godly women don't like ungodly men. <laughs> so you're doing everything you can to show yourself to be in league with ungodly men in this world when the whole time the one thing that a godly woman is going to want is the one thing you don't have. And then you wonder why the godly women don't want you. Same thing, I'm counseling a girl the same way. Right now she's complaining because she can't find a godly guy. I just, Shane, I just want a godly guy. I just, I just want a man who's godly. I'm like, yes, but the way you dress, you, your past boyfriends, you go to the club, you guys fornicate, you take drugs, and you get drunk all the time. And you're standing there going, God, why won't you give me a godly man? Because I'll tell you right now, a godly man can smell that. They can see that. They know that. They're not going to want to have anything to do with that. Oh yeah, a godly guy will talk to you. He'll be like, hey, hey, how's it going? He's not going to want to take you out on, on a date. He's going to want to sit you down and call you to repentance before the Lord and to give your life to Jesus. That's what a godly guy is going to do with you. Satisfied with what we have and recognizing the most important thing about this. I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. These are amazing promises and I could go on and on. But this is why we have hope today. But it's the deceptions of the world and the promises of hope that there, that there is hope apart from Christ and the deception is a lie. It's a distraction that will bring nothing but worry. And a lot of times when I look at the body of Christ, we are just people who are nothing but worried. All we do is worry. We're all concerned. We try to be, we try to be like, you know, godly about it and say, oh, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm just concerned. You know, we do that as Christians, right? I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. You know, it's like when we were in Bible college, we said, no, I'm not lusting. I'm admiring, you know. Not worried, we're concerned. But we worry when there's no reason to worry. Family, there's no reason to worry. Because in the end, we ask the question, why are you worried? Why are we concerned? Why are we burdened with this? Do we believe that God can do all things? Yes. Do we believe that God is going to care for us? Yes. Is his eye on the sparrow? Yes. Then why are we worried? It was an interesting thing. According to uh, the Bureau of Standards, they were talking about a dense fog. There was a dense fog that was covering seven city blocks to a depth of 100 feet. This fog they were measuring in this city, seven city blocks, a hundred feet of fog. And a scientist came in there and were doing, taking some measurements and stuff like that. And they said when they did the circumference of the fog with how wide it was, how tall it was, and how deep it was, they said if it could be condensed into water, it wouldn't fill half 
of a drinking glass. If you condensed all that fog to water, it wouldn't even fill half of a drinking glass. We worry about things. We worry about fog. <laughs> our worries are like fog. They block our vision. They concern us. We see the stuff. It distracts us. But in reality, it's not even a glass of water. What, the things that we're worried over is nothing compared to our God. Christ is our hope. Christ is our hope of glory. But it's sin and the pattern of this world that causes us to lose sight of what is true and lose hope, falling into hopelessness. We know that Christ will uh, do what he promised, but we don't, many of us don't want what he promised, and so we despair because we know that what we want is not right, so we can't depend on God to do it. Sin in us causes us to desire what we have no hope in God for. And when we actually get it, it never satisfies. And family, one huge thing that the body of Christ does not understand and needs to get, especially in our culture today, when you look at the Bible, the reality of judgment, do you want to know one way God judges us? He lets us have whatever we want. He says, fine, I'll give you all the stuff you want. And family, that's judgment. That's judgment. This is why the, 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 the author in the Proverbs, in Proverbs 30, give me not riches. Oh, we think today that, hey, yeah, if God gives me $10 million, all my problems go away. Uh-uh. And even if the earthly problems and the problems that we have here on earth, even if it all goes away, what does he say? Give me not riches, lest I say in my heart, who is God? Oh, okay. All your problems on earth went away, but now you're going to burn in hell for eternity. Good job. Judgment, family. Judgment. But we can rejoice today because the love of God and his wonderful compassion sent Jesus into the world to live the life we should have lived and to die the death that we should have died. Because the Bible says Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Jesus came into this world to seek and to save that which was lost. And we rejoice today because Christ came into this world. This is why we celebrate this stuff. I mean, isn't it kind of bizarre? Throw Christ out of the picture, and when your parent is trying to tell the kid what's going on with the baby in the manger, what's so special about that baby? Oh, uh, I don't know. I think it has something to do with, uh, you know, God or something. Isn't that funny? It's like when you look at all that Christmas represents, how can you explain the significance of the Advent when you throw Christ out of the picture? Yeah, no Christmas, we just Xmas. Which is bizarre because X in the Greek is curse, you know? So if you pronounce it correctly, it's not Xmas, it's Christmas. Really weird things we do. But bizarre things. 
because they just don't want to have Christ in the picture. But it is the good news. He is the good news. And the promises continue that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is here because Christ came. Why we celebrate Advent, his coming, the fulfillment of the promise of God that he, the seed of the woman was going to come and was going to crush the head of the serpent. That there was going to be redemption and the promise came, and did it come? Yeah. And did he do a really good job? He gave us Christ. You can't get any better than that. Let's pray. Thank you for listening, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.